Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Take your Bible. Haggai chapter number two. Haggai chapter number two. We're going to wrap up our Kingdom Builder series. Haggai chapter number two. If you don't know where Haggai is, find the book of Matthew and go left a couple pages and you'll find the book of Haggai. We're going to be in chapter number two. This is the story. The children of Israel, they've been released from Babylonian captivity after 70 years of being slaves. They're finally released to go back to Jerusalem and God gives them a mission. He says, rebuild the temple, restart the worship allow the people to come back to be able to offer the sacrifices and celebrate the festivals and so go back and build the temple and God works miraculously so that they can rebuild this temple and in 13 years they rebuild the temple and they restore it but we're in Haggai chapter number two and I I want you to turn there and if you don't have a copy of God's word here's what I'd love I would love for you to either download the app on your phone the Bible app Or you can download the Southridge app, which has all the sermon notes on it, so you can stay connected that way. Or if you would like, at the end of the service, find one of our leaders. We would love to get you a copy of the Bible. I think it's so important that everybody have a copy of the Word of God. And uh, bringing it to church is great, but make sure you have one at your house. You can highlight, you can take notes, put a journal next to it. So important that we have the Word of God in our lives. Well, this morning I'm going to make a strong statement And I don't want to offend you, but I hope this statement just kind of wakes you up a little bit. I'm going to make a statement, all right? You got to be ready for it. And uh, hopefully you had enough caffeine this morning. But here's the statement, okay? Here's the statement. You need nothing. Many of you immediately, you're like, but my Amazon wish list says I need a lot. The kids in the room are like, mom and dad, do not listen because I need them presents. Guys in the room that are trying to convince their wife that that toy that they want is really a need because that's what I do. I try to convince Jane that, hey, I really need this sports car. I really need this new boat. I really need this new e-bike. And if it's a need, then we can go into debt for it because it's a need after all, right? Well, relax. Your need is fine. Your Amazon wish list is safe. And kids, you're going to have a great Christmas. But the truth is still the same. You need nothing. Now, immediately you're like, what are you focusing on? Is the focus on that I don't have any needs? Or are you focusing on that I have nothing? (laughs) Because if you're a teenager in this room, you've done what I've done. As a grown adult, I open up the refrigerator. I let the cool air hit me. And I say to Jane out loud, we have nothing to eat. And then she's like, there is food in there. I was like, but I don't want to eat this. (laughs) That's really what I'm saying. I know we have this, but I don't want this. I want something else. How many went to your closet this morning, ladies, and you screamed to your significant other, I have nothing to wear. How many went to the garage and said, I have nothing to drive? What are we really saying? I don't have anything I knew or anything new that I want to wear, and I don't have anything new or nice that I want to drive to church. Because the reality is, every single one of us actually has things. I don't think there was a person in this room that you opened the refrigerator 
And if this is the case, please see me after the church and uh, after the church service, and I will take you to Costco and we'll fill your fridge. No problem. But how many of us, and I don't think there's one that opened the refrigerator and it was completely empty. I don't think so. I don't think there was a person here that opened their closet this morning and it was completely empty. I don't think that. I don't think anybody that made it here, you turned it on your car and you were like, man, my car is on empty. You see, we miss out on the fact that we need nothing. Now, somebody asked me uh, last night, they were like, hey, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I'm preaching on nothing. And they were like, no, no, that's impossible. And I was like, no, really, I'm preaching on nothing. And then my daughter asked me this morning and she was like, hey, dad, what are you preaching on? And I said, nothing. She said, dad, you have to preach on something. I was like, I know, but I'm not preaching on something. I'm preaching on nothing. And I'm going to have a whole lot of fun with this all day because you're going to get to go home and people are going to ask you what you learned from church. And you're going to be able to say, I learned nothing. And then you can even go on and say, I actually learned a whole lot of nothing. I mean, you're going to have so much fun with this. This is going to be great. Because you and I don't realize this, the fact that we need nothing. This is actually a double entendre, which means it's a phrase that's open to two interpretations. Today, you are, you are going to learn a lot about nothing. Like when people ask you what you learned, you'll be able to say nothing. So out of all other things you and I need, we actually need nothing. Now, the problem is we never like nothing. That's the issue. You see, we never like nothing, but we need nothing. We live here in the West, and one of the things that we've almost eradicated is nothing. I can go to third world countries, and that's why our church is big on mission trips. That's why we build orphanages. It's why we're going to take more mission trips. It's why, I, why, why we give monthly out of our church budget. We support missionaries across the world because there are places that when we in the West say we have nothing, it's totally different where they're in a third world country when they say they have nothing. It's literally they have nothing. They don't even have a refrigerator to open to have the cool air hit them and say, Mom, we have nothing. There's no refrigerator to do that. You see, we've insulated ourselves against nothing. We don't like it when we have nothing. We don't like it when we have nothing in our wallets. We don't like it when we have nothing in the fridge. We don't like it when we have nothing in the closet. We don't like it when we don't have anything in the garage. We don't like it when we have nothing. So what do we do? We go get something and fill it. And even if we have nothing, we still pretend like we have something because we don't want people to think or believe that we have nothing. Because we are actually afraid of nothing. I did it again. You're like, what are you afraid of? Nothing. That in and of itself is a thing. You and I are afraid of nothing. We're afraid of having nothing. And so we do whatever it takes to make sure that we have nothing. We don't have nothing, actually. We don't want to have it. We keep it as far away from us as possible. So we will spend money that we really shouldn't be spending to make sure that we have something. Living above our means, doing extra. Why? Because we don't want to have nothing. And we don't want anybody else to think that we have nothing. So we will fill this insatiable void. And I know many of us may say, but pastor, I've lived all my life with nothing. 
And I'm not here to minimize gaslight or to um, patronize you or talk down to you, but I do believe that there are some that you know what it's like to have nothing. And when I say have nothing, I'm not meaning like, oh, you had a little. I mean, you literally had nothing. It's few and far between nowadays. Like uh, my parents, there were Christmases where it's getting closer to December 25th and the tree's still empty. It's December 24th and it's six o'clock at night and I, I was not raised to believe in Santa Claus. And so the, the, I was like, but there's no presents here. There's, there's nothing. And the next morning, even though there was nothing, then there was still at least a little something. It took longer. You say, why? Because my parents would go out on Christmas Day and see what specials they could get. I've had those days. And then they would bring a, a gift that they would say, well, this year we didn't have a lot, so it'll be a, it'll be a family gift. I've had those Christmases. I've had the Christmases where it's like, hey, we actually don't have a lot, so what we're going to do is they don't have any more. It's now Lucky's. used to be Albertsons. We'll go down to Albertsons, and we'll get some fried chicken, and we'll get some of the uh, things that they have at the little delicatessen before they close, and then we'll just go have a picnic. I've, I mean, I've never had nothing on Christmas, but I've had not a lot. And I think that would be everybody's story here. I don't think anybody's sitting here saying, well, I've never had nothing. I think the reality is you may have had less than you wanted, but you and I have not actually experienced, for the most part, what nothing is. And now we live here in the West, and then we get worried as if God is mad at us if we ever do have nothing. But the reality that you and I need to come to this morning is that we actually need nothing. And I know this is kind of confusing, so let's go to Haggai chapter number two, and let's look at three verses, and then I'm really going to unpack this. Notice we would, verse number one, the Bible says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, so this is God speaking through Haggai. He said, speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, and the high priest, and the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory. He's, God is talking about Solomon's temple. It was beautiful. It was ornate. It was overlaid with gold. It was uh, ivory. This thing was beautiful. And then God asks a question. He says, and how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as, and what's the word, church? Nothing. nothing. Isn't that kind of messed up when God points out that they have nothing? I mean... We all think that's very rude when your kids go to school and you, your kid kind of knows that if a kid doesn't have anything for lunch, it's not good to point it out, right? Unless you're going to help meet the need. It's like, hey, you have nothing for lunch. Want to share? But otherwise, it's pretty rude to say, hey, you have nothing. That's kind of rude. So why is God doing it here? I mean, these people have been in captivity for 70 years. It's not like they're loaded. Here they're coming back and they've got to rebuild out of the rubble. They've got to rebuild this temple. And they're thinking in their mind, we remember what it looked like 70 years ago. And it was gorgeous. I mean, this thing was beautiful. And now here we are. We've been in captivity. We have a slavery mindset for the last 70 years. And now we're back. And now we're supposed to rebuild this. Are you kidding me? And then God says, what's it look like to you? Doesn't it look like? And then God says, nothing. It's kind of messed up. Is God playing some cruel joke? No, God is trying to teach them that they need nothing. And God is trying to teach you that you need nothing. But yet we live in our culture where we're like, no, I don't want to learn that lesson. I don't want it. But we miss out on something powerful that God does. 
All throughout the Bible, we can start from Genesis. In Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, there was nothing. The earth was formless and without void. And it was in that nothingness that God created everything. You see, you needed the nothing. I grew up singing a hymn. This hymn was little as much when God is in it. Maybe you sang it too. Little as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. It's an old hymn. But even little is more than nothing. You see, we're used to little, but we don't like nothing. And here in this passage, God is pointing it out. But then you can go on to 1 Kings chapter 17. Here's the prophet Elijah. He's at a brook that's dried up. The ravens are no longer bringing food. Now he has nothing. And he goes to God and says, God, I have nothing. There's no water. There's no food. And God's like, good. I'm going to send you to Zarephath. There's a widow. Guess what? She also has nothing. And together, I'm going to take care of both of you. But he didn't just stop there. Later on, after Mount Carmel in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, he then prays for rain and he's praying for rain and he tells a servant, go up to the hill and look and see if you see any clouds. The servant runs up the hill. He looks and Elijah says, what do you see? And the servant says, I see nothing. Doesn't stop there. The children of Israel, they're wandering around the wilderness and as they're wandering around in the wilderness, they're telling Moses, they're saying, Moses, we don't see a grocery store. I don't see a Chick-fil-A. I don't see any restaurants. And we have nothing to eat. Luke chapter number five, the disciples, they have been fishing all night. Jesus appears to them and Jesus asks, have you caught anything? And they said, we caught nothing. Jesus is teaching on the hillside. There's over 5,000 adult males. And there in the middle, Jesus looks out and he sees that they have nothing to eat. You can continue on through scripture and you can also go on to other parts of the Bible where it continues to talk about nothing. Matthew 15, verse 32, Jesus calls disciples himself and said, I've compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me these three days and have nothing to eat. He told his disciples in Luke 9, 3, he said to them, take nothing for your journey. He goes on to John 15, 5. He says, without me, you can do nothing. See, the reality is, We all have nothing in common. It's the great unifier that we have nothing in common. But yet you and I are so afraid of nothing. Nothing in the account, nothing in the fridge, nothing under the tree. I wish we were as afraid of having nothing in our hearts. But sadly, we go through life having an emptiness where it really matters. Because God came to fill the nothingness. He came to fill it. As a matter of fact, there was an ancient writer, his name was Job. He lost all of his children, his wealth and his health in a single day. And he said this in Job 26 verse 7. He said that God stretched out the north over empty space. And then he said he hangs the earth on nothing. Think about that. How many, how many decorated a tree recently? Hold up your hand. You decorated a tree recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I decorated a tree. And I had the hardest time. I bought a tree from Costco. Thought it was a nice, healthy, noble spruce from Costco. No, I brought, bought the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Things turn it brown on me. I water it. I do whatever. I talk to the tree because they say trees have feelings. And I even try to hang little ornaments. The little branches are so sad. It just kind of goes like this. My ornament falls off. God took a planet and stuck it in the middle of nothingness and he said, stay there, and it stayed. So by comparison, 
I should be able to take this card and I should be able to get this card and I should, by comparison to a planet, this card is nothing. Maybe weighs not even half an ounce. And I should be able to get this card to hang on nothing. I mean, after all, it's not a planet. It's just a card. I can't even get a card to hang on nothing. And God took a planet and hung it on nothing? So then, why am I afraid of nothing? It seems to me that God uses nothing. It seems to me that nothing is not nothing. It seems to me that we underestimate nothing and we've been pushing nothing away. And with reality, what nothing actually is, is the point at which God does something because nothing is the catalyst for something great. But yet, if you and I are always chasing away nothing, then we never have the catalyst for God to move. And you and I want to see God move. We want to see him do miracles, but yet we will not allow God to use nothing. We want something. And God's like, no, 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 I use nothing. So here's some reasons that nothing is great. Notice if you would, I love this. Whenever you are down to nothing, that's when God is up to something. When you are down to nothing, that's when God is up to something. Because what God is trying to get them to say is he's trying to kind of play a fun little joke because our God has emotions. He has feelings. And he's like, hey, how's this new temple looking? Doesn't it look like nothing? And immediately that should click in their minds that, wait a minute, okay, if God says it looks like nothing, he's about to do something. And when you look at your life right now where you think there is nothing, I want you to understand that you need that nothing because that means God's about to do something in it. So as you look at the pledge and you say, ah, I don't think I'm going to do anything. I I don't think I can do anything. You say, no, no, I've got nothing. So that means God can do something. And I'm going to see what God's going to do. And I'm excited how God's going to move because there was a dying widow that God showed up and made sure that the oil and the flour never ran out until the, until the, the rain came. It was just a moment later that the the lad went back up the mountain. He said, hey, I do see a cloud. It's the size of a man's hand. And in that moment, Elijah gets up and says, I hear the abundance of rain. And he beats the king back to his kingdom. And in that moment, he saw God work. It was David with nothing for armor who faced Goliath. It was the Israelites wandering around with nothing for food and water that they saw manna and they saw the, the, the quail come and feed them. You see, the disciples, they caught nothing, but then he said, cast the net on the other side, and they filled up their nets so full that the nets began to break, and they had to get another boat to help them out. It was when they had 5,000 who had eaten nothing for three days that then he did the miracle and fed the 5,000. You see, you and I, we know that nothing is impossible for God. Do you believe that? Oh, come on. Do you believe that? Amen. Nothing is impossible for God. But I want to give you an even better quote. This is from Pastor Rod Parsley. I love that. He said, nothing is impossible for God to do. Nothing is impossible for God. And for God to do nothing is impossible. Our God never sits on his hands. Our God doesn't just sit back and do nothing. You see, God, for God, it's impossible for him to do nothing. That's who he is. So what situation do you need God? Or if you create a life where you're like, I don't really need God. That should scare you if you don't need God. 
It's also the height of arrogance. I don't know what's going on with my body right now. I can go get a blood test. I can go get a physical. And the doctors can say, oh, Pastor McKay, you, you're good. And tomorrow something happened. And I'd be gone. I need God. I need him every day, every minute. And I, 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 I can't live without him. And I need to have that awareness in my mind. I need to know that I need those things that only God can do, where God does the impossible. And for God to do nothing is impossible. So if you right now think, what God, are you listening? Are you seeing? What are you doing? Remember, it's impossible for God to do nothing. We also only can retrace God's hand in reverse. Many times we're like, well, I don't see God working. You know, throughout my life, it's rare that I'm, I've really seen God work in the moment. It's always been in the hindsight, which is why we put page seven in this booklet. It's called our hindsight highlights. You see, when the church started, there was just 57 people that first Sunday that showed up. 57. A lot of them were just friends and family that were never going to come back. Because I did such a good job preaching that only 37 came back the next week. And then the week after that, it got even lower. But then it just grew after that. You see, in 2014, we had our first service. In 2015, we had an Easter event where we had 1,500 people show up. We also gave away 500 Christmas trees that year. Here's the thing. Nobody was taking a salary yet. We were barely paying our bills and we were doing an Easter event and we were giving away Christmas trees and we weren't able financially to make it yet. But in that, that time where it seemed like that's foolish for a church to do that, that seems wasteful. In that time, we saw God do some amazing things. 2016, we raised $12,500 to build an addition to the Aslan Noel Orphanage in India, which is still there. We built that. Here's the crazy thing. Our church wasn't even bringing in $12,000 a month. So it was like, the biggest thing for us to raise, $12,500. I was like, how are we going to do this? This is crazy. We're not bringing in hardly anything. But yet God showed up and that home is there. And then that same year we hired our full, first full-time staff member. And there is a correlation. Seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be added unto you. That's the order. Put God first in everything. Put God first in your finances. Put God first in your, your week. Put God first in everything. And watch God do great things because God will do something like it's nothing. You say, what do you mean? Second Chronicles chapter number 14 is a great king. His name is Asa. And the Bible says this, and Asa cried out to Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether it with many or with these who have no power. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. Do not let men prevail against you. Did you catch what he said? God, would you take care of this like it's nothing? Some of you can bake like it's nothing. The rest of us are like, how did you do that? Like there was just mayonnaise in the refrigerator. How did you get this gourmet meal? Some of you, man, you can build something. You just walk into a garage, you're like, I need this, 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 and then boom, you have a refrigerator you just built. I'm like, I don't even know those parts were there. Some of you can go into a room and it has a bunch of computer parts and you can rebuild a laptop. You can rebuild the desktop. Some of you can look at an Excel spreadsheet and where I just see Greek and Hebrew, you're like, I'll take this number and this number and this number and then boom, man, taxes paid and I get a refund. Wow, that's amazing. 
Some of you are just good at things like that. Some of you know how to write and code, and you can create whole programs, whole companies out of code. It's incredible. You have incredible skill to be able to do that. And it's like nothing. Now imagine for God. And here, this king is saying, God, would you do this like it's nothing? And God's like, oh, I've been waiting, hoping you'd ask. And God just rolls up his sleeves, and then he shows off. But the reality is, if you don't need nothing, then God's not going to do it like it's nothing. So that's why you and I, we need nothing. But you and I are trying to stay away from nothing. I don't want to ever have nothing. And sometimes you feel like that's all I ever have is nothing. But God wants to use that nothing. God wants to show off and do something great in that nothing. And God will do something like it's nothing. That's why he even said in verse number four, be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua. And then he says, be strong, all the people of the land, says the Lord, and work for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. God's like, hey, we're going to do this. It seems like nothing now, but we're going to do something. And that's what you have to remind yourself. It's nothing now. But the thing about nothing is when you have nothing, it reminds you that you need God and it also helps you to notice God when you have nothing. You see, if you don't have nothing, you don't need God. You don't need him. You're like, I'm kind of my own God. And I don't mean that in a blasphemous way. You're kind of your own G-O-D God. You just kind of take care of yourself. And we wonder why we're not seeing miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit in the church because we are so self-sufficient. But we forget, what does scripture say? The arm of flesh profits nothing. John 15, verse number five, for without me, you can do nothing. You see, when you get into that thinking that, hey, I'm a self-made man, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps, guess what? God says, that's great, but it's nothing. Wow, I thought God liked that entrepreneurial spirit, that go-getter. It's the hardest thing for a person with my personality to do nothing. It's so hard to do nothing. It's like, I just want to do something. Just got to be busy, got to be moving instead of just wait. But God reminds us often throughout scripture, be still and know that I am God. And how we know that he is God is when he moves in the nothing. But yet you and I won't allow God to ever move in that nothing. So this Christmas, do you have a nothing? Is there something in your life that you're like, God, there's, this is my nothing and I bring it to you. I need you to do it. But I love this part. Verse number seven, and I will shake all the nations. They shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. God is now talking as if this temple's already built. He went from it's nothing to now he's like, I'm going to fill it with glory. And then he said the desire of nations. What's the desire of nations? I looked it up. It's actually the word desire is translated the word treasure of nations. The treasure of nations is a reference to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is going to come into this temple. That's what he's talking about. You see, the third thing you need to remember is that God not only will do something like it's nothing, but also you didn't go through all this for nothing. You didn't go through all this for nothing. This isn't wasted. God's not like, oh, I'm just having you go through this for no reason. No, no, no. God was saying, hey, you guys are going to build this because guess what? King Jesus is going to come to this temple. He didn't come to Solomon's temple, but he's coming to this temple. 
He's going to personally walk through to this temple. You know, today in Israel, they still wait for the promised Messiah. They're still waiting for him. And there's a group of people that have already walled up the eastern gate because he's supposed to come through the eastern gate. They miss the fact that Jesus has already come. Right now, they're still trying to use DNA testing to find the Levitical tribe of Levi. They're trying to reinstitute the priesthood, and they want to use actual Levites, so they're using uh, DNA markers to try to find the tribe. I've seen parts that they want to use for the temple. They are trying to rebuild the original temple. They're going to one day. They're going to rebuild it, and they're going to reinstitute the sacrifice, and they're waiting for the Messiah. They don't believe the Messiah has come. And here in Haggai, he said he is going to come the treasure of all nations. And in the gospel, we read that Jesus is the pearl without, with great price. We read that he is that treasure that's buried in a field. It's Jesus. They aren't going through this for nothing. Jesus is going to work. He's going to use it. And what you're going through right now, it feels like, man, nothing is going to come from this. That's not true. You didn't go through all this for nothing. That's the biggest lie from the devil, isn't it? You went through all that for nothing. That's not true. Oh, look at that. You stayed married a whopping nine years. All that for nothing. It's not nothing. Look at that. You gave 10 good years to that company. What did they do to you? They said, get out. All for nothing. Man, look at all that time you put into those children, and that's how they're going to treat you? All for nothing. You don't have to say it out loud. I know you think it and feel it. I know that's how we feel because it's how I've felt at times. But I'm here to remind you, you do not go through this for nothing. God is working all things together for good and your, or his glory. God is bringing it all to pass. God is working through this. So you don't go through this for nothing. He was doing something. They were building this house for a reason. It was for Jesus. But then I love this. Nothing is never nothing to God. Nothing is never nothing to God. This past week has been a crazy week. I've been in a couple different states. I've been traveling. I got food uh, poisoning. was sick most of the week. And so when I have weeks like this, it's, it's one of those where, where I, I write a message and I'm like, oh, man, I, I have no idea what I'm even saying. It was one of, those, one of those kind of sickness that I was around people and I was just talking. And uh, it's really embarrassing. I was talking to a Cambodian couple. And for whatever reason, I thought they were Thai and so I'm going off about how great Thailand is to this Cambodian couple. Because of a sick, my brain, I'm just like, oh, have you guys had Thai food? It was almost like I was trashing on their culture. I was like, man, this is terrible. I'm like, oh, you're Cambodian, that's great. But Thai is way better. Like, if you would have been Thai, you'd be cool. But you're Cambodian. And I was like, I didn't even catch it until afterward because you know when you're sick, you're just like in this weird. So it was just, it was just bad. I was, it, was, it was just not good. And I was just having one of those kind of weeks where it was just keep, keep seeming like bad stuff is going on. You know, the weeks that you have, some of you are like, hey, that's my life. And that's just how my week was going. And then Jane, she'll ask me, she'll be like, hey, how's the sermon coming? And I'll often say in a week like that, I'll say, I've got nothing. And she's like, well, it's Thursday or it's Friday. And then it's amazing because when I said I've got nothing, and then I looked at this passage and I was like, ooh, but that's where God works in the nothing. That's where God does his biggest stuff with nothing. The stuff that we finally realize, I couldn't take credit for that. 
Only God could have done that. Because that was nothing. But look what God did. My friend, you need nothing. Stop trying to push it away from your life. Instead, be open to nothing. Be open to say, okay, God, you brought this nothing here. I'm going to be at peace with this nothing. Because I believe you're going to do something that I never thought possible. Because, yeah, you can just go hop into a relationship just so you can satisfy the nothing for a moment. And in that moment, you know what you got. You picked it. You can have something empty financially and you could just jump into some career and be like, yeah, I just had to. And then you, you got it. You can just jump in and say, hey, my, my, my situation went bad, so I just, I just fixed it. I, just, I was feeling bad, so I just filled the void with substances. And you don't let God show up into the nothing. And you don't realize just how big your God is. How amazing he is and what he can do and how he can show up in powerful ways with amazing job an amazing relationship with amazing peace and love and joy and the moment then you look back and you're like I'm so glad that I let God move into nothing because nothing is never nothing to God God doesn't look at your nothing and be like that's nothing God's not dissing discrediting or denying your nothing and some of you are like well if I have nothing God just doesn't care about me that's not it at all. God looks at it when you need him and he's a loving father and he's like, oh yes, I get to go to work because they got nothing and that's a catalyst for me to do something. And God is up to something right now. I sense it. And I sense it because I need it. I need the nothing. I need him to move. You see, in this passage, he gave them power in verse two and four. In verse number five, he gave them his presence. And then verses 6 through 9, he gave them their promise. So at the end, what is it that they actually needed? They actually needed the nothing so that they could see God fill it. But if you're already full, God's not going to try to push and force his way in. This morning, the greatest thing that you need in your nothing is Jesus Christ. If you've never received him into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior... Man, I would beg for you to accept Jesus into that nothing. Let him take up residence in your life. This is the Christmas season. He's not just looking for an empty hotel to stay, an empty inn. He's looking for an empty heart that he can live with eternally. He wants to change your life. He's looking for the empty. He's looking for the nothing. But so many people, we hide and we cover and we fake that we have nothing. Instead of simply coming to Jesus and say, God, would you come into the nothing? Would you save now? Because that's the most important thing, is that you and I get to the point where we say, I need nothing but Jesus. I would love for you to pray a prayer that says simply, Father, I need you. I need this void of nothingness filled in my life. Forgive me for my sin and give me a future and a hope without end. I receive Christ, my Savior. I would love for you to pray a prayer like that. So can we, with heads bowed and eyes closed, can we right now examine ourselves? Can we look inside to the nothing and say, God, I want you to fill that space. 
And maybe there's been a nothing that's on your mind and maybe that nothing is a bill. Maybe that nothing is a health crisis. Maybe the nothing is some other thing that you're worried about. And you say, God, I don't know how you're going to come through, but God, I need you. And you say, God, please, in the nothing work and believe God that he will. Nehemiah was building the wall and he reminded the workers. He said in chapter 4, verse number 9, he said that they, that God provided for the children of Israel and they needed nothing. He said their shoes didn't wear out and their feet didn't even swell. God is there to take care of every need. But right now, you need to need nothing. Maybe right now, just say thank you for nothing, God. Thank you for the nothing. Thank you that it's there because that's the space. It's not empty and blank. It's where God's going to move. It's where he's going to work. It's where he's going to show up. I'm not looking at an empty six acres. I'm looking at the catalyst for what God's going to do. I'm not looking at a half-empty auditorium. I'm looking at a space that God is filling with his presence. I'm not looking at a Christmas tree that may not have enough presents this year. I'm looking at the nothing that God's going to use. I'm not looking at the fact that maybe there's a relationship missing and there's nothing there. I'm going to look at what God's going to do in that nothing. And in this moment, give the nothing to God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, can I pray with you? Maybe you're struggling with nothing. Is that you? You lift up your hands. Can I pray with you? I see that. I see that hand. Oh, God bless you. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I just pray for those that are struggling with nothing. It sounds kind of ironic to even say, but they're struggling with it. And who would have thought we would struggle with nothing? Who would have thought we'd be afraid of nothing? But we are. And so right now, Father, speak life and peace. Breathe, O breath of God, into the nothing. Like you breathed on the dust and you formed man. Breathe out the words that speak it into existence, God. Only you can do it. Turn our nothing into something, God, that's great, that brings you glory, and it's for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.